Huawei is uh, back in the news, Will. They, uh, China themselves has threatened to retaliate over U.S. sanctions. I haven't talked a lot about this particular situation. I mean, it's just so complicated and weird. And it's just, it's, it's ongoing and it, it seems to be escalating, accelerating. Uh, so Trump did some stuff. He, his administration on Wednesday effectively blocked Huawei products from being used in U.S. networks. So there obviously was, was already some, some sort of ban, but it was for government workers. They couldn't be using Huawei products. Now it's like Huawei stuff can't be used inside of telecommunication networks at all. Now, it actually has been in certain cases. Apparently, in some smaller markets in the U.S., smaller telcos, they had been using some of Huawei's equipment because it was the cheapest. It was, it was the uh, least cost prohibitive for these kind of upstarts or just, just smaller operators. They don't have the big, you know, sort of deep pockets that Verizon and AT&T and others might have. And so this, this uh, block now effectively puts a stop to even that, where those regional carriers can't even buy this equipment from Huawei. So what's important to note, for those of you watching this, you, you probably already know this, but Huawei is not just a smartphone company. In fact, they're way bigger than that, and they were m way more than that before they ever sold a smartphone. They sell the radios in the towers, the various communications products. So anywhere you go in the world, maybe you travel to Europe or something, you, you hop on a cell phone call, you may very well be transmitting your data through Huawei hardware. Even if your smartphone says T-Mobile or, or Vodafone or something like this, depending on where you happen to be, whatever their rules and restrictions are regarding who gets to manufacture the hardware in those cell towers. So Trump, the U.S., there's obviously friction between them and China right now. You're talking about trade sanctions and, and tariffs and taxation and all, all kinds of stuff going on. This is not a politics show, so I'm not going to dive too deeply into that. But what does this mean for you as a customer? Well, in the immediate sense, if you're a person... That, that currently has a phone serviced by a small-time or regional carrier in the U.S., maybe your costs go up. Maybe you uh, have to pay a few more dollars because the hardware necessary to upgrade those networks can't come from the cheapest source anymore. It might also mean that we wait a little longer for 5G because this is, again, an area where Huawei is advanced and has, and has been at the forefront of 5G development on the hardware side. So if they're taken out of the equation, you may need to wait longer or pay more for those orders to be filled. And that could then trickle down to the customer as well. Now, who knows whether these, uh, whether these uh, threats or the perception of threats, who knows if it's well-founded? It seems impossible. It seems impossible to investigate this thing, right? These rumors have been out there for a long time, but different countries are reacting in different ways. The U.S. seems to have the most definitive stance 
the toughest stance on this thing, but other countries not so much. In fact, in front of me here, we can take a quick look at how some other countries are reacting. France, Germany, and Belgium have not banned Huawei technology, but Japan has pulled Huawei from the potential to be involved in public contracts. So they've kind of done the first step ban, similar to where the U.S. started before moving into this more, this deeper ban. Uh, the U.S. has raised tariffs to 25% on $200, $200 billion of Chinese imports and is threatening to tax an additional $300 billion more. So the, here's the question. Is this well-founded? Does, 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 does this here exist? Does this ban exist to protect end users, to, pr to protect Americans from uh, the threat of espionage and so on? Or is this a tactic, a political tactic with the agenda of uh, putting pressure on China to potentially bend or, or be okay with paying these higher tariffs to interact with the U.S. in a different way that may be more politically and economically beneficial to the U.S.? It could be either or. We're going to have to wait and see. One thing I did read is that here in Canada, uh, there's no plans to ban Huawei. Canada says it won't be pushed to ban Huawei after the Trump executive order. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting situation. It is a weird one as a fan of technology and smartphones. You kind of wish that people would get access. You kind of wish that it could be an even playing field where the end user could select whatever product they thought was the best or most suitable for them. But it turns out it's more complicated than that, than that now. Telecommunications, smartphones, communication in general, the internet, the transmission of data, that's become kind of this very important component in modern life, in trade, in business. Of course, a lot of this, this thing started based on there were some T-Mobile Trade secrets. T-Mobile claimed that Huawei had sold, sor, sor, sorry, not sold, but stolen some trade secrets. And uh, apparently this is, this is supposedly a reaction to this. Huawei, of course, disagrees. Uh, they, claim, they claim that's not the case at all. Their stuff is top tier. There's no spying. There's nothing weird going on. And that no one should be concerned. So here's my thing. I'm at a point now where I've read enough of this stuff. I feel like... A lot of people suffer when there's tension like this. The world, yourself, possibly myself, many of us have benefited from these uh, from trade. I mean, you want, every single gadget you have in your life, it came from across the world. And the components that went into it, they came from somewhere else in the world. I mean, it's really amazing. And you're obviously a tech fan. You obviously enjoy having access to this stuff. So you wouldn't necessarily want that to be different. And now the world is is faced with this situation here. So I think the most beneficial outcome here is working together. Cooperation makes it happen. I used to have, I don't remember what that was, a little cartoon. Cooperation makes it happen. Cooperation, working together. What was that show? I don't know. Somebody's going to find it. Maybe not Willie Do. He's too slow. No, it wasn't the Lego movie. I'm talking old. I'm talking like 90s. Uh, but it's true. That's what it is. It's like, there's got to be a way here. 
we're not going to turn around, snap our fingers, and no longer interact with one another in an economic fashion through trade. Will found the song, of course. Is this the song? I don't think that's it, though. It was Sesame Seat. Sesame Street. Jeez. What are we doing here? We're off topic. I don't think that's it. I don't think it's that's cooperation. Maybe it is. Anyway, nonetheless, nevertheless, it's true. All right, we've all benefited. And we can continue to benefit if people can figure it out. So on the U.S. side, is there not a way... Is there not a person, is there not an agency that could look into this equipment under a microscope, so to speak, of course, in a, in a software way, reverse engineer it, find out if it's actually dangerous before just telling us this much? Is there not a way to sit down at a table and say, okay, let's hash it out? I, I, I personally think there probably is. I think there's a way to do this in a productive fashion, and it would make... It would make a lot of sense. Uh, you know how I feel about Huawei products. High quality stuff. Like I, I was recently using the P30 Pro myself. There's no ban here in Canada. In fact, Huawei's all over the advertising here. You can't get away from Huawei. Uh, they were advertising Hockey Night in Canada. Everybody knows. Nationwide. And if you walk into a, a local telco, it's full of Huawei devices. And people seem to like them. And of course, in the camera department, they're doing some things that are right at the top tier. So you want that product to be available and you want more competition in the marketplace. And of course, elsewhere in the world, there is access to this product. Huawei has become the second largest smartphone manufacturer in terms of volume. Uh, they've recently surpassed Apple. So they need to be in the game. We can't have this weirdness. But how do we make it happen? How do you satisfy all parties? This posturing and this beef here doesn't seem, doesn't seem like the best case scenario. And ultimately, you got to have some talks. You got to sort it out. That's my opinion on the matter. You let me know down in the comments because I'm curious. All this talk, all these stories, you, of course, are all over the world as well. Does any of this stuff get through to you? Do you, are you concerned about Huawei, are you concerned so much that you may avoid one of their devices because of stories like this? Or from a national perspective, would you have a problem with Huawei manufacturing the equipment involved in the build-out of your own networks in your nation? I want to know down in the comments. And I also hope this thing can be sorted out. That's my take. Next up, you know, Will, earlier today I was, I was in Costco. I know that's weird, right? Like it never, I ne I'm never in Costco. No, really? No, never. But this morning, early, right when it opened, I was in Costco. And uh, it's a really weird, it's a different place. There's no place like it. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, they carry, a little, they carry a little bit of everything. And the people, it's a lot of, it's, there's a lot of zombies walking through there. I don't know if you know, it's like the walking dead in there. With their oversized uh, giant carts. carts moving around, moving through. Their pizza's good though. They got the cheap pizza, uh, hot dog, dollar fifty. Yeah, like they got a lot going on with that. I know you're a pizza guy, so. But here's the thing. Here, here's what stood out to me inside of Costco. I put, I took a picture. I actually put it on my Twitter. You can bring it up right now. It's on the Lou Later Twitter account. 
because I'm walking through there. You know, I'm just exploring, I'm trying to figure things out. And what do I find? I find this. I find 2016 in 2019. That, my friends, is the iPhone SE. That's a phone that was released in 2016. Now, what other company other than Apple can sell a device from 2016 in a retail setting like this, making it look like brand new in 2019? Now, I get it. It's discounted. Keep in mind, that particular model is the 128 gigabyte version. And it's listed at 399 Canadian, not US. So if you're trying to do the math. I'm on their website right now. I'm on Costco's website. And they do also carry a 32 gigabyte version for 299. So it's not like you're spending a ton of money on one of these devices. But it's still kind of crazy. That in an era where, for example, we recently, we, we recently unboxed the Google Pixel 3a. With, that that's already available for $399 with a $100 Best Buy gift card, bringing the price effectively down to $299. So the same as a 32-gig iPhone from 2016. It's really amazing. And it's a testament to, to what Apple has built from a brand recognition perspective. I think a lot of people are probably walking through Costco saying, I can get an iPhone for $299. All right. Canadian, that is. I'll take it. It was right next to a Samsung A-series and a Motorola phone that were in a similar price territory. I think people are saying, I could get an iPhone for that. The other thing I think it says is that maybe there's still a market for a smaller smartphone because that's what the SE is. And it's really like your last way to get into a tiny little smartphone. Maybe there's a subset of the customer base that's just like, I don't want one of these giant things. And maybe they're still picking this thing up. Funny enough, there's nothing on the post on Costco's website that indicates that you're buying a three-year-old phone. Not that there has to be, but it's just kind of funny. It's almost presented as a new device, even though we're in 2019. It came out in 2016. Now, Apple, on the other hand, if you go to their website, they list the phone, I believe, as clearance. You got to type in iPhone SE. I probably have to go to the you, I don't know if you can go this way. Go to the U.S. site as well. We'll see if Willie Duke can find it. But they actually do reference the fact that it's no longer in production in some kind of fashion. They use certain terminology to indicate that that's the case. Well, yeah, there you go. It's on sale. Track phone SIM. Wow, T-Mobile SIM. Click on one of these for a second. Let's see what it says. So they only have the 32 gig. And all, all they really state is that it's on special, actually. They don't say that it's, it's old or anything either. So it's, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting little tidbit. I thought it was a weird find, but I think it speaks to two things. First, brand recognition, the assumption that people have around Apple and iPhones that, that that's all they need, it's all they want, they're set for life. There's definitely a customer base that believes that. And then also, like I said, potentially this user that just wants a small phone and really doesn't have that many options anymore. In fact, we have our own experience with that here in the studio. Jack stayed on his phone for a really long time. Like even definitely into 28, 17, 18. He was on his phone for a year and a half, even though other phones came through the studio for a while there. He's just saying like, I like the size of it. Leave me alone. And so on and so forth. He like, yeah, the shape of it. It's, it's a nice thing to hold in one hand. So, Anyhow, I thought that was funny. I think people in international markets will get a kick out of that, though. When you think about it, at, at, even at 249 
the type of spec list you can get in India, for example, or China, like phones that look a lot more modern than that. Obviously, you don't even need to bring them up. I mean, even the Zenfone 6 from today's video at $499 with a flipping camera and a no a bezel-less design, no notch. Yeah, if you haven't watched this video, you should go check it out. It has a crazy camera trick, 5,000 milliamp hour battery. I mean, it's obvious that the iPhone SE is of a different era, but it's hanging in there. Apple's the only manufacturer that's, that's able to, to have these devices hang around, but I don't know for how much longer. Speaking of the Google Pixel 3a, uh, it's now available for the first time on Amazon, but I don't recommend you buy it there. First of all, it's got a weight on it, and there's no incentive, no discount, even though B&H and Best Buy, as we talked about yesterday, have a, have a deal, uh, the $100 gift card on the Pixel 3a, so I don't know. I mean, I, I, maybe you're just an Amazon fan. You got to buy it off Amazon. I, I think Amazon should improve this, give you a little special perk as well. Maybe they will soon when they get stock. But anyway, if you were holding out to see this phone on Amazon, there you have it. It's now listed at least. And I got another story here, Will, uh, about robots. I know you're a big fan of robots. Big robot guy. AI and robots. That's how I like to describe Willie Do. Because as far as we know, he may be one of those things or both. We're not really sure. Yeah. And that would be fine because it's equal treatment around here for all parties. Yeah. And uh, we don't discriminate. So the story is robots are the ultimate job stealers. Blame them, not immigrants. Uh, this is on The Guardian. And it's a really interesting article, in fact, about how robots and automation in general has had an impact on various industries and how it has the potential to displace even more workers based on various forecasts now that now of course there's a there's the flip side of that which is like well yeah maybe it will displace people maybe it will change people's professions but they maybe they should be in another profession anyways uh some of these numbers here as far as what Automation could replace in percentages. You have uh, in the, in this in this one spectrum here of petrochemical. You have chemical engineers; they can't be replaced. But like everywhere else, it's like holy smokes! Petroleum engineers, chemical technicians, petroleum pump system operators, derrick operators, chemical plant and system operators, and then petroleum technicians. Ninety-one percent can be replaced by automation and they, oh this is on an oil rig to be clear and when they're interviewing these executives they're like yeah of course i can get a robot to do it it's less risky uh automation is configurable and predictable compared to humans humans who knows what humans are up to yeah they like breaks humans do all kinds of things yeah, you never, you can't predict what a human's going to do, Jack. But uh, anyhow, here's the issue. According to McKinsey's study of 2,000 work activities across 800 occupation, occupations, half of today's work activities could be automated by 2055. Did you know that, Jack? Robot editors. Well, what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 
So here's what they say is going to happen. People are going to be forced to take worse jobs. Like people, it's, it's actually, it's kind of it's terrible. Uh, what do they say here? If a worker is displaced from a well-paid job as a factory technician, he may find a new job, but it may be in the service sector, working as a home health aide or stocking shelves. So hope you're ready for that. I'll meet you there. I'll be automated too, for the record. They'll just put an AI me. We've seen it already, right? AI uh, news broadcasters or whatever. So everybody on YouTube will be watching AI guys like me who say exactly what they want it to say. You know, the feedback loop where it would be like Android fans would only, their AI would be tuned to give them the news the way they want it. And guys like me would be so outdated. They'd be like, oh, him? I disagree with everything. That guy's a nightmare. Stuff like that. Anyway, maybe that's a few years further. AI YouTube channels. Will, you're right, man. It's happening. It's absolutely happening. It's crazy. What a time to be alive. Anyhow, digging a bit deeper here, obviously you have the other potential for automation in driving. Driver being this popular profession. Uber experimenting with automation with their vehicles as well. And uh, the real question is when and if these workers are displaced, what is the effect? What's the impact of that? Are people happy about that? Or uh, are people going to be looking for change? Will people be satisfied moving from their position as a chemical plant and systems operator to uh, stocking shelves? Now, this is a controversial subject. A lot of people think that it's just this is the way that it goes and people will find meaningful work. They'll, it'll, you know, there'll be some modern position generated from all this activity. Maybe they'll build the robots, for example. It's quite possible. But uh, nonetheless, change is happening. It's inevitable. Robots, AI, it's all coming. And uh, as you know, as it goes in the movies, they uh, eventually figure out how to exterminate us anyway. So what does it matter what your job is when you're being exterminated? You know? Mm-hmm. I think they, once, once they're fully formed, once they're self-aware, they don't care if you're stocking shelves or if you're an engineer. You're going down. So we can all look forward to that collectively as a group. So that's a bright spot on today. I got one more here, Will. When is this week's blue moon? And what is the meaning behind it? Did you know we're having a blue moon? Once in a blue moon, we get a blue moon. It's happening. This Saturday, the UK is set to experience a rare blue moon that should provide the basis for some stunning pictures. We're going to have to point the... P30 Pro at the blue moon and see what happens. Maybe it'll turn into a regular moon. Or maybe it'll be more blue. I don't really know. It's a lunar phenomenon that in most literal sense possible occurs once in a blue moon. Quite simply, a blue moon is the name given to any full moon that appears for the second time in a single calendar month. For the avoidance of any doubt at all, the moon will not be turning blue. Did you know that? See? It's not an actual blue moon. Once in a blue moon. The saying. It's a moon. <laughs> it's a lunar phenomenon that, in the most literal sense possible, occurs once in a blue moon. You see what they did there? You see that, Jack? No. I guess what, what it is is you're not supposed to get 
a full moon that appears for the second time in a single calendar month. So you only get one full moon per, per month. You know those like moon calendars? My dad had a watch growing up. It had like the moon calendar on it. So it would say the time, the date, and the moon phase. Yeah, because it's like locked into it. So anyway, Will's got a moon map here. Uh, basically, yeah, you're looking at you're looking at one full moon a month, unless it's a blue moon, in which case that's twice in one month. It happens once in a blue moon. <laughs> so it actually doesn't. January and March are typically good months for blue moons. We saw blue moons in both months in 2018. Uh, so. It, it's not physically blue. No, it's not blue. It's not actually blue. It looks like a regular moon unless you use a P30 Pro to shoot it. Yeah, why did they call it a blue moon? And then why did that become a saying once in a blue moon? It's all so confusing. It must, the blue moon, visibly blue. The, the effect can be caused by smoke or dust particles. So it can look sort of blue, but, oh man, it's all, it's all, it's a lot to take in. You got blue moons, blood moons, full moons, the shrinking moon, the P30 Pro moon. It's a bunch of moons. But anyway, well, you get two, you get two full moons. All right. So I don't know why that matters. I mean, it's. You know what? You can look at something like that. You can look at some news like that and be like, ah, eh, two full moons. I got things to do. I got shows to watch. Two moons. Do you know what I mean? You could look at it like that or you could be like, wow, phenomenon. You should be like, science, nature, black holes, orbit. Like you can do either. Like you could be like Neil yes. deGrasse Tyson and like it's amazing and and, and they stare at it, or you could look at your smartphone. What do you think people are going to be doing? Instagram, yeah. And even if they look at this moon, this, they're just, it's just for the opportunity to get the photo. They're like, I'm waiting for the moon, man. You know? Yeah. Yeah, human beings spoiling everything. Bring in the automation. Right, Jack? Yeah. Just take care of Get rid of us right now. What are we doing hanging on here? Yeah, come on. Robots, they don't make mistakes. Imagine this show with the AI version of me. No bantering, no flailing. That's a show I'd watch. Guys, I feel like we're being rough on ourselves today. You know, I think we're pretty cool. In fact, uh, mostly Otis and Casper, but we're not bad. We're not bad. No, the robot dog wasn't as... You remember when they were interacting? The Sony robot dog? I still want one of those, though. You know, those are still cool in their own way. Anyhow, all right. You got some questions for us, Will, as usual? Oh, maybe you have a story as well. You can do one story if you want. Well, there's one story here that's uh, pretty interesting. You're back on the San Francisco news train. Yeah. That's your thing, man. You are Willie Do, San Francisco reporter. Listen, this is a... <laughs> This is a hot take. Oh, big news. Okay. So Tech Hub San Francisco, first U.S. city to ban facial recognition. Cool. San Fran doesn't want local law enforcement to get its hands on the tech. So they're trying to get rid of 
facial recognition where? In in public spaces? Public spaces, yeah. I see. Okay. Because you can't obviously can't get rid of it everywhere. I mean, people people willfully use it on de- on their devices. Mm-hmm. So they want it banned from public spaces. Won't that wouldn't that be hard to govern to police that? Like yeah. what about security cameras? Which ones are and aren't running facial recognition? Like that's difficult. Yeah. And I guess you can't even like put people to trial and say, hey, like I identify you through software. Like this is who you are. You're going to trial. You can't do that anymore. Oh, wow. You know what I mean? Interesting. Yeah, it's crazy because it's San Francisco. Like um, it's a tech hub, Mm -hmm. essentially. And um, it says says here it makes it something about like facial recognition that it's not accurate i mean i looked into it and like this artist he basically just created like a pattern that tricks facial recognition by just adding this pattern to like a shirt or something it could actually identify multiple faces and these aren't faces these are just like yeah you know little doodles so will's showing a picture right now it's got all these green boxes and little like smiley face looking things and uh, this was generated by an individual to try to trick facial recognition systems. Yeah, of course. Of course there's going to be a way to trick it. There always is, right? Yeah. So so I guess they're saying it shouldn't be admissible in a court of law. Uh, it's, that's quite interesting. Uh, we've heard stories in the past about facial recognition rolling out in other countries, for example, where like people being tracked all over the place, uh, walking down the street, checking into hotels. That's yeah. how they're supposed to work anyways. In reality, the systems are often incredibly inaccurate, particularly when attempting to identify women or people with darker skin tones. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Given the dire consequences that could result from the inaccuracy, it's not surprising that many people, even some of those helping develop the systems, have protested their use by law enforcement and other government entities. So it's not there yet. The tech is not there yet. Right. It's not yeah, solid it's not enough there. to be leaned on in the fashion that they may want to lean on it. Mm-hmm. It's kind in, of interesting. In law, I guess. Right. You know? Okay, I can see that. I don't think that's necessarily such a terrible idea. I don't know about the ban specifically. Again, I think that's going to be a, a difficult thing to uh, police unless they're referencing specifically within a court case. Ban its government agencies from using facial recognition tech. So I guess they mean it within court cases. Yeah. Things like this. That, that would seem to make sense to me. Yeah. So there you have it. Technology that's not ready. We're pretty familiar with that. Mm-hmm. That's happened on the show before. All right, Will, what do you have for questions today? Uh, this one. What's up, Lou? What about the issue we are having with Apple's replace first mentality on the hardware and the fact that they are not supporting third party repairs? Thoughts? Um, what about the issue? Well, how do I feel about it? Obviously, I don't think it's ideal, especially this day and age. I mean, there's a lot of, we we, we got a lot of gear. We have a lot of products and the mentality in general that you always need a new one kind of uh, diminishes there are limitations to that, to that mindset. There's consequences to that mindset. I understand why they do it from a business perspective. You want to keep the ball rolling, right? You want to get back to that 
profitable space. You want to realize that profit margin over again. I don't know that it's feasible for most people. And there's obviously waste associated with it if you're unable to fix these things. That said, I feel like their way around that is by purchasing back the device or keeping it. There's a lot of trade-in programs going on right now that, that Apple's doing to say, okay, fine, we'll give you some value for your old one in exchange for your new one. The part that bugs me is that if a person does want to repair it, then they're getting in the way of that. I think within their stores, you can't really force them what to say. If their store is full of salespeople, they sell things. Any one of us, if we were in there, we'd do the same thing, right? Like you, you try to find a solution to someone's problem. The easiest solution within the store setting is to sell them another one. Right. It's an easy solution. It's an easy solution for everyone involved. You don't have to ask too many questions as an employee, even as an end user. Maybe they feel like in most cases, hey, that's the least likelihood for a headache, even if you may be spending too much money or whatever else. Maybe that's an exchange they feel like is worthwhile. But it also happens to help their bottom line, obviously. Now, of course, there's sites like iFixit. You can still do whatever you want personally, assuming you could get your hands on the parts, which that seems to be the issue. Apple, of course, attempting in certain circumstances to block the shipment of necessary parts to actually do these repairs in the first place. I think it's a bit predatory. I don't think the situation is perfect as of now. And uh, I think that there should be some right as, as far as the end user's ability to go in there and repair certain certain things if they, if they want to, I mean, at their own risk. Now, see, the trouble with that, again, coming from my background, having repaired some of these things myself, is a lot of uh, end users... Yeah, the iUpgrade shop, Jack showing off. I mean, I did this in the past. I talked about it in a podcast. I had a store in the city. Oh, look, Yelp says it's closed. But look, we had a five-star rating, two reviews back in the day. Anyway, we, we actually did this stuff. And one of the issues was that people, you know, that wasn't my store. How dare they, they? See, they copied me, man. The one next to it was. This one? That's my store. That's the inside of my old store right there. Yep. That's the, that right there is the inside of my old shop in which I did this stuff. Look, I had stuff for sale. Laptop sleeves. Uh, in the office there, that might be the top of my head. Show what? Yeah, why not? A what? Of that? Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, go ahead. It's not the store anymore. I believe it's a barbecue place now. <laughs> it's called Lou's Barbecue. Yeah. Uh -huh. Is it still there, though? The barbecue spot? I don't know. Really? Anyway, uh, so the point, the point is that the problem with the repair ecosystem is sometimes expectations don't meet reality from an end user perspective. They think, oh, I'm just going to go in and repair this thing. And then they bump into something like, for example, people would ask us to buy parts or uh, screwdriver kits and things like this. And we would be like, are you sure you want to do this? Because we could do it for you, charge you for, for, for our time, and it's a hard thing to do. And people would be like, nah, I can figure it out. I have the repair guide. And then they would go and screw up the repair and then come back and say, hey, you got to fix it now. I'd be like, we can't. It's impossible to fix it now. So it's a weird one where I think if people want to have this right to repair... They also need to be realistic about 
the limitations within that and what that means. And really the optimal situation is to have third parties, robust third parties with experienced people that can repair Apple products, kind of like my shop was, but of course it couldn't exist and many others can't exist because it's a, it's tough to go up against Apple themselves. Most people just go to the Apple store. They don't, they don't want to dive too much deeper than that. So it's a tough business, but if it weren't so tough, if the parts were available, if Apple supported it in some way, I would imagine it would be possible to have this robust third-party repair system in place. As of right now, I think there's probably a lot of waste because there isn't. And I also think it just, it just kind of, uh, it's just a weird way to do business. If a person really wants to repair their thing, sh should that be up to the manufacturer that sold you the product or should that be up to you? Like that's really what the question comes down to. And, uh, and ultimately, I think it should be up to the individual assuming they're willing to accept all risk associated with doing so. They should have the freedom. All right, let's do another question, Well, Hey, Lou and team, what are your thoughts on the current activity in the space industry and do you have any desire to go into space yourself? Wow, that's a space industry. Cool, obviously, SpaceX. I mean, Elon is now landing rockets on boats, and that's all super futuristic. And uh, they're 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 getting closer. That's for sure. It's it's amazing to see the progress they're having, especially since it appears that NASA is not. He's not really doing what they used to do. I think that their their funding structure is a little different than it was in during the space race. But it's a weird thing, space, isn't it? I mean, no one knows what's out there. So what are we doing exactly? What do we do when we get there? I know Elon Musk wants to colonize Mars. I'm not prepared to go to Mars. Like, uh, you'll go? You don't come back, you realize. If you go, you don't come back. You're sitting there petting Casper. What happens to him? Does he go too? He comes, eh? Wow, that's weird. Okay, so both of you are prepared to just bounce. Wow, man, I like Earth. You never come back. I, you're going to be in a... You have to be in some sort of dome. There's, the, there's no atmosphere or whatever. It's not... You can't breathe. Ping pong on Mars. You know what? If, uh, if that's your thing, I don't want to go. To answer your question, I don't want to go. But I think it should be explored. I don't think we should give up on it. I'm glad that Elon Musk is doing what he's doing. It seems like, I mean, I didn't expect the private sector. It just didn't cross my mind back in the day that space exploration you know, in the future was going to be, be emerging on behalf of the private sector, that private companies would be the ones doing it. And then maybe eventually even offering up exploration there was that other one was it rich richard branson the one where you could you could actually go for a flight sort of just just leave earth's atmosphere and then come drop back down the idea of recreational space travel it's a that's a wild concept you jump up you go back down i mean i guess it would be amazing but it's tough because it's not a shared experience so you come back down here and you're like yeah it was amazing and everyone's like okay cool you can't really, they can't have the experience with you. It's like it comes down to this thing of things are, are a lot more fun when you can do it with somebody else. So unless you got all your people, all your family and friends tripping out to, to Mars with you, 
I just, I'm not sure how cool that's going to be when you're on week six and Mars with a bunch of randoms. Maybe you like them, maybe you don't. I don't know. Is there a police force? You see? It's going to be you and the whack jobs up there, Jack. The first, <laughs> the early adopters. You know what? It's cool. Anyway, look, he put a Tesla up in space. That's pretty wild. Imagine all the stuff floating around up there. Human beings, we're crazy. We're unbelievable. It's cool, though. I, I, like, uh, I like it. I'm down. You want to do one more? You want to do one more question? Sure. Let's all right, do let's one. do one more. I enjoy the... F- oh, did we do this one? Did we? I think we did this one well. Oh, okay. Do we worry about artificial intelligence, intelligence technology enough as we should? Should we be more concerned with how quickly artificial intelligence is coming? By the way, I'm a big fan, and I just wanted to know your opinion on AI technology. Uh, you know, it's so weird, AI terminology, because all of a sudden, out of nowhere, every smartphone company in the world started saying their devices were AI. Like, AI this, AI that, neural networks, AI photography, AI uh, battery consumption, I even heard, like, AI uh, power distribution. Smart. Like, anything smart. smart. Yeah, anything... All kinds of functions that where AI in some form could be enabled to improve the functionality of a particular thing. Yeah, AI in cars, obviously self-driving cars. Uh, AI all over the place. It's it's a very vast subject, and so there are certain places where it feels really obvious and productive, and then there's other places where you're like, "Huh, that seems scary." I mean, everybody's had that moment with like a voice assistant where it's like, wait, what did you just say? Or Will searching up DeepMind, for example. This is the one that, that won uh, League of Legends or StarCraft. This is Google DeepMind, right? It beat yeah. like the world's best players in one of those games. Maybe it was League of Legends. I can't remember. And apparently the what's involved in doing so is just absolutely bananas in order to... Like the variables, considerations, adaptations required to create an AI capable of thinking like a human, better than a human. Of course, DeepMind, yes, also one that uh, match against the greatest Go player, right? They DeepMind won that as well. Am I correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Self-training. I mean, that's the, that I think is one of the scary components. Self-training, self-learning, getting smarter, uh, machine learning. Yeah. You give them the rules. Give them the rules. They just sit around and play all day. They just learn. Yeah. It's, uh, I think it has the potential, like everything that's great to, to go either way. Right. Everything that's amazing is, is amazing because it's powerful because, because of the potential and I think, I mean, it's, it's like this idea, you know, in the content business, we make videos. It's like your worst nightmare is to create something that, that people don't react to at all. Like complacence is your worst nightmare. People are just like, ah, blah. Like you'd rather be loved or hated than, than inspire no reaction at all. 
that concept there, to me, it applies in this case. Of like, in order for something to be great, it has to be sort of controversial. For anything to change, develop, evolve, there has to be some friction around it. There has to be some good and some bad. Both pieces. Like, you can't have the autom automobile industrial revolution without side effects. It always comes together. And then it's up to human beings to try to govern the thing in real time as it's happening. Of course, the fear here is that you can't govern this one. The fear here is that by the time you decide you're going to govern it, it's going to be too late, too smart. That's the fear. I mean, that's the science fiction. You know, it's amazing to me how different things from science fiction play out eventually. You go back, you watch old movies, and it's just like, oh, wow, they predicted that exactly. It's like human beings ha seem to have some futuristic intuition. So we sort of seem to know, we have an inkling, things that might be good for us, might be bad for us. You know, the internet's another great example. It could be good or bad for you. It depends on what you do with it, how it's controlled, discipline. How do you do it? Do you, do you take the energy? Do you form it? Do you manipulate it or does it manipulate you? You see that right there? But uh, that's, just the, that's just the consequence of greatness innovation and whatnot there's going to be collateral damage and we just continue to hope as humans that we'll be able to control it even though the outcome seems inevitable anyway in the meantime it's doing cool things for cool people so there you have it that's another episode it's the lou later show podcast you know you can uh, not just get this uh this uh, distribution here on youtube you can listen in audio form as well on iTunes, Spotify, and so forth. And I want to give people a recommendation. There's still some of you out there in the comments that are like, um, the thing is, what is this, an hour upload on YouTube? What are we doing here? I have things to do. Uh, little recommendation. I've seen this also mentioned in the comments as well. People, they throw this on in the background. You know, a little conversation in the background. It's, it's one of the ways I listen, listen to podcasts also. So whether you're commuting to work or you're doing your chores around the house or maybe you're playing a video game that you know really well and you don't want to have the sound on, you want to listen to something else, that's one way to engage with the content in a more passive fashion. If that's what you're looking for, give it a try. Some people say it works. Others, not so much. Everyone's different. It's all quite beautiful. That's another episode. Thank you for joining. Willie Do, that'll be that.